It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Jeremiah, uh, both chapters 23 and 33. And uh, we're going to be looking at the name of God, Jehovah Sikhanu, uh, which means the Lord our righteousness or God our righteousness. <clears throat> and I think I've been saying this almost probably on every single session or every study that we've been diving in, but it's been interesting. <clears throat> uh, it's like I've heard a lot of these names in a very basic sense. I've studied several of these names in what, what is becoming very apparent to me, a very basic sense. Uh, and as I've been working through prepping for some of these sessions, uh, if I feel like the content <clears throat> keeps getting bigger and bigger and richer, and I mean, it's, it's just been interesting how, as I've been pondering this idea, I was actually going to combine this with another one. And then as I was studying that, I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to have enough time to even get through this one. So it's just, it's just interesting to me how <clears throat> each of these names of God that are expressing and revealing his character and, and, and the majesty of Jesus Christ. It's like the more you get into the name, uh, the more rich and profound and deep. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I think that's become one of the most exciting things about this series, for me at least, is just this idea that uh, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. And that, that to me is thrilling because that means we... I should say it this way. Do you realize what a privilege it is that you can spend the rest of your life going after Jesus and never hitting the bottom? It just, it just is always going to be better. It's, it just keeps getting richer. It just keeps expanding because of the fullness of Christ is so good. Uh, it just, it's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just been phenomenal to me uh, just getting into this. Uh, so again, I've, I've said this for all of them, but I feel like we're just scratching the surface. So I would encourage you to take the concept and, and study it out even uh, deeper on your own. Uh, so the name is Jehovah Sikhanu, which again means the Lord our righteousness. And when you, when you look at this idea of righteousness, I, I think for whatever reason in our, in our modern day, we have a, either a misunderstanding or we just completely ignore what righteousness is. Uh, we've often defined righteousness around here as as God is and as man ought to be. But that really doesn't define it. <laughs> it's just, it's godliness in, 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 a, in one sense. So I was really wrestling through, okay, like how do we articulate the idea or the concept of righteousness biblically? Now, I'm going to start with Webster, 1828, because that's the good one, right? So at least, at least to give some groundwork, here, here's what Webster says in the 1828 Dictionary. It's a purity of heart, a rectitude of life, a conformity of heart and life to the divine law. Righteousness, as used in scripture and theology in which it is chiefly used, is nearly equivalent to holiness, comprehending holy principles and affections of heart, and conformity of life to the divine law. It includes all we call justice, honesty, and virtue with holy affections. In short, it is true religion. And then number two was it's applied to God in terms of the perfection or holiness of his nature, exact rectitude and faithfulness. And I'm sure that cleared it all up for all of us. Uh, listen to how the book of Proverbs talks about uprightness or righteousness, because I, I think this will help us at least a little bit gain this idea of righteousness. Proverbs 16, verse 17. The highway of the upright is to turn away from evil. 
So what, what is the highway of righteousness? What is this highway that we are called to live? Well, it's the exact opposite of sin and evil and, and wickedness. So if you want to like try to get some categories in your mind, we have evil and sin and wickedness and depravity and, and that stuff. And then on the other side, if you have the opposite of that, it's righteousness. It's this holy, pure, upright kind of living. Uh, here, here's what one author looking at the names of God said about this idea of righteousness. She writes, the Hebrew word for righteousness uh, can be translated as righteous, honest, right, accurate, justice, truth, or integrity. I really like this definition from another author. He said, righteousness is that which is straight and accurate, wholly devoid of duplicity, double-dealing, deviation, or deceit. And I really love alliteration. So this just tickled my heart. Uh, look at this again. <laughs> righteousness is that which is straight and accurate, wholly devoid of duplicity, double-dealing, deviation, or deceit. And then maybe if we can just simplify this. When we're talking about God and the fact that He is righteous, do you realize what we're saying is that His unchanging character is right, it is true, it is pure, it is holy, it is just. God is righteous. It is who He is. That it is, it is an aspect of His unchanging character. He is righteous. So as you get into this idea of Scripture, Scripture is really clear that our God is the righteous one. And I'm going to give you a whole ton of Scriptures this morning, and I apologize for those trying to take notes. Uh, so just do the best you can. Uh, but just listen to what Scripture says in terms of the fact that our God is righteous. I think these are just beautiful. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. Look at how many terms are used or synonyms are used for this idea of righteousness. Uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy 32, The rock, speaking of our God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness, without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Isn't that beautiful? Man, that just encourages my heart. Uh, Psalm 11, verse 7, For Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteousness the upright will behold his face. Isn't that cool? So here is God. He's righteous. He loves righteousness. And those who are righteous, oh, they get to just have that presence, that intimacy, that nearness with the one who is righteous. Psalm 89 verse 14 and also Psalm 97 verse 2 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness or hesed and truth go before you. Do you realize that the foundation of the throne, the foundation of the kingdom of God is righteousness? Psalm 119, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and righteous are your testimonies forever. So you get this idea that here, here is God, he is righteous, and you realize his word, because he is righteous, his word also is righteous. It's true, it's pure, it's holy, it's godly, it's upright, it's just, it's all that stuff. Psalm 129, verse 4, Yahweh is righteous. Isaiah 45, verse 21, there is no other God besides me, says the Lord, a righteous God and a Savior, there is none except me. Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 118, Yahweh is righteous. 
Look what the writer of Hebrew then says in Hebrews 1, verse 8 and 9. But of the Son, speaking of Jesus, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness or righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Do you realize that our God loves righteousness and hates wickedness? He hates that which is opposite of his nature of righteousness. And then look at what Psalm 147, sorry, 145 verse 17 says. Yahweh is righteous in all of his ways and holy in all of his works. And do you know what the word all in Hebrew means? It means all. So he is righteous in every facet of who he is. He is righteous in all of his ways. Now, you see this culminate then when Yahweh, the the God of the universe, takes on flesh. And what you see in Jesus then is the fullness and the physical declaration, the expression, the declaration, the manifestation, whatever the term you want to use, of Yahweh being righteous. What do you see in Jesus? Jesus is the righteous one in the flesh. Look at some of these just these concepts in the New Testament about this idea of Jesus being the righteous one. First John chapter two, verse one, John writes, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father. Well, who's our advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Isn't that a beautiful name for Jesus? He is the righteous one. Luke 23 Uh, This is Jesus on the cross. It says that when when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was righteous. Hebrews 1, I, I just read this, but listen to this again. But of the Son, speaking of Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness or uprightness is the scepter of his kingdom. Do you know how Jesus rules and reigns his kingdom? With a scepter, a rod, of righteousness. It's not, a, it's not a rod of demand. It's not a rod of fear. It's a rod of purity and uprightness and just and holiness and godliness. And that, that's how he reigns his kingdom. He reigns his kingdom. He rules his, his realm with a scepter of righteousness. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, John records that he saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sits on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And then listen to this statement. I, I came across this uh, in a book about the names of Jesus. And, and Charles Rolls says this. I just thought this was beautiful. Christ is the entire expression, the complete exhibition, the essential essence in person of righteousness in all perfection. Jesus is the embodiment of himself as to the source, the spring, the substance, and the subsistence of righteousness. Therefore, we know perfectly well that he will never be unfaithful. He will never be untruthful or unmerciful or unreliable in anything that he declares or does. Christ is inherently and essentially righteous and ever remains the absolute and abiding standard of divine righteousness in expression." Isn't that an incredible statement? In other words, what Charles Rolls is saying is that when you look at the life of Jesus, you see the fullest expression of true righteousness. 
That, that if you want to know what righteousness looks like, you look at Jesus. Because he is the fullness embodied in human form. It's a great, great concept. Now, all that being said, our God is righteous. He came in the flesh and was the righteous one. Here's our problem. We're not righteous. So here is our precious Savior. Here is our Lord. Here is the King of kings and the the high and lifted up one, the creator of the entire universe. And our Yahweh, our precious God, is righteous. But we are not. And you know these verses, but just freshly meditate on these ideas. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Isaiah says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind carry us away. And I've said this before, but if you want to do an awkward study, you need to look at what filthy rags means. Because I think of filthy rags like, you know, I wash my hands and I, you know, put paper towels and I, and I toss them in the trash. Or I have an oil spill, so I grab a rag and I, I get the oil spill cleaned up and I, what do I do? I just toss it in the trash. But the term that Isaiah is using for filthy rag, it literally means a bloody garment. And if I can put it in our modern vernacular, it's, it's a tampon. It, it's a minstrel cloth. It's, it's just this bloody garment that you don't keep. You just, you, you get rid of it. You dispose of it. And, and Isaiah says, do you realize that your best attempt, uh, your, your, your best grit and gusto when it, when it comes to living righteously, to living godly and pure in, in the world that we live, the very best that you can do on your own is still but filthy rags. We, we are unrighteous, folks. That, that when, we, when we choose or when we chose sin, do you realize that, that all of our deeds are now tainted and stained by sin? Uh, Psalm verse 14, verse 3, <clears throat> the, the psalmist says that they have all turned aside. Altogether, they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then Paul picks up and quotes this verse, and he actually gives, I think, even a better clarity to this. Because in quoting Psalm 14, this is what Paul says in Romans 3.10, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not even one. See, n- none of us are, are righteous. None of us can pull this off. And, and, and here's perhaps what's a scary thought in the middle of all this is the best we can pull off is filthy rags. We are, none of us are righteous. We are all sinners. We've all rebelled. We've all shook our fist in God's face. But Jeremiah says it this way, which I think is actually rather scary. He says, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick, yet who can know it? Do you realize that our hearts are so deceitful, our hearts are so wicked, that we don't even recognize that it is deceitful and wicked? That that we look at these twisted desires that our heart has, and we're just like, oh, that's normal. Yeah, that's totally fine. And we have duped ourselves, thinking that somehow we're actually doing okay when what Scripture declares is, uh, we are all sinners. We are all unrighteous. Well, then what hope do we have? None. There is no hope. Save Jesus Christ. That there is no hope for you to be righteous. There is no possibility for you to be clean and pure. There, there is no option for you to live how God has called you to live. 
See, see there, there's no way you and I can reach down in our pockets and pull it up. Uh, we can't do this by our talent. We can't do this by our wisdom. You can't do this by your good looks. See, you, this is absolutely impossible. How are we going to live righteously? Because it's the righteous who see the face of the Lord. He is righteous. He loves righteousness. And it is only the upright who see his face. So if we are longing for the presence of the Lord, if we're going to desire relationship and intimacy, how on earth are we going to do it? You can't. But that's the great news of the gospel, that you can't. So quit trying. And would you begin to embrace him and let him do it in you? Because he's the only one who is intrinsically righteous. He and he alone in and of himself is righteous. He is the righteous one. So how am I going to be righteous? I need him to come and do something in my life. And the phenomenal reality of the gospel is that he has literally paid every cost so that my sin could be dealt with so that I could actually take on his righteousness. Do you know how often that's mentioned in scripture? That it's not my righteousness, it's his that I get to share and partake in. So here's this idea. Do you realize that what we desperately need is Jesus and to be clothed in his righteousness? Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. This is such an incredible passage. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, it's been known, it's been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So are you getting this? This is not you. This is through faith in him for all those who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace to the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, get this, for a demonstration of his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time. So that, listen to this, that he would be just and the justifier, which is a a synonym for the word righteous, That, that he would be the righteous one and the one that actually brings about the righteousness of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you realize that the righteousness of God has been made manifest in the days in which we live? And it's not through gritting your teeth and accomplishing the law. See, in the old covenant, righteousness was an external thing seen in the actions and the deeds of the individual. But in the new covenant, do you realize that righteousness has gone on to the inside and is now dealing with the issues of the heart? Well, how on earth am I going to be righteous? See, I can't grit my teeth and produce righteousness. Well, how am I going to be righteous? I'm going to have to allow the God of the universe to come in, change, transform, cleanse, and then be my righteousness. And it is only through faith in Christ Jesus that I am made righteous in him. Do you know how phenomenal that is? That means you do not have to be smart. You do not have to be good looking. Praise the Lord least for about five of us in the room. I'm kidding. I'm, that's, that's a, might be true, but it's a sad joke. <laughs> Just, 
<clears throat> anyway, but, but do you realize you don't have to be talented to get in on this thing? You don't have to have your life put together. You don't have to. This is not about you. This is, hey, would you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and would you allow the reality of his righteousness to be yours? How, how am I going to live a godly life in this very godless age? How, how am I going to live pure in a very impure world? How, how am I going to live righteous in a very unrighteous realm? I can't. Unless it's through faith in Christ Jesus and I allow his work and his life and his righteousness to be my own. Look at what Isaiah said. I, I love this. Isaiah 61 verse 10. He says, I will rejoice greatly in Yahweh. My soul will rejoice in my God. Why is he so excited? Isaiah says, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isaiah says, I am so excited. Why? Because he's doing something in my life. He's clothed me with salvation. Do you know what the name Jesus means? Yahweh is salvation. That Yahweh is the Savior. That's what Jesus means. So ponder this. He's talking about the fact that God is doing something. Well, what, what, what is God doing? God has given me a garment. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is my salvation. Jesus is that robe of righteousness that I now get to partake of. That he is this clothing that I sink down into, which is exactly what Paul tells us in Ephesians. Paul is, is using that as an illustration or as an illusion and says, do you know what God has done in Christ Jesus for you? And he says in Ephesians 4, he says that you are to lay aside in reference to your former conduct or living that old man or that old life, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And instead, you're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on. It, it, he's using garment language. He's using clothing language. That you're to put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God and has been created, get this, in a righteousness and holiness of the truth. So Paul says, well, what are you supposed to do? That you're to take your old life and like an overcoat, you're to take off the old and toss it aside and you're to put on a new garment. Well, what's, what's the new clothing? Jesus. And Jesus is now that garment of salvation. He is that robe of righteousness that we now get to wear. And because of his righteousness, do you realize that now you get to have intimacy in the near and dear presence of the king? Because Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteousness. And it's those who are righteous who see his face. And he has drawn you into that reality to say, wow, would you partake and would you share of this phenomenal reality of, of my life, which is righteousness itself. Uh, look what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life to the one Jesus Christ. Do you realize that righteousness is a gift? It's not a work. This is not a grit your teeth and pull it off thing. God, in his abundance of his life and all that he has done and purchased at the cross, actually wants to bestow upon you an incredible gift. What is the gift? Himself. It's his life. It's 
his righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30, But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you realize that Jesus became to us righteousness? Or I'll look at what Philippians 1.11 says, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, I love this passage. He made him who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you know what a horrible exchange that is? Jesus took on all of my sin. Why? So I could take on his righteousness. He really did not get the good end of the deal. But why would he do that? Because he wants relationship and intimacy. He can't stand the fact that you're in rebellion. He can't stand the fact that you're living in addiction and sin and and under the oppression of, of, of the weight of unrighteousness. So what is he doing? He's providing everything you need for life and godliness so that he in and of himself might be our righteousness. That he might be our purity, our hope, our, our joy, our, our, our rightness, our truth, our purity, our... Are you getting this? This is so phenomenal. Please contain yourselves. <laughs> Look at Philippians 3. Paul says, more than that, I count all things loss because of the, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith. Do you realize the only righteousness we have is in Jesus by faith? As you look at this idea of righteousness in Scripture, I just want to give you a couple quick ideas. One of them is this idea that it has to be more than a facade. Uh, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders, and one of the things that Jesus clearly tells them is, guys, you have this outward appearance of righteousness, but you're full of deadness. Look at this in Matthew chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. In this way, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Uh, In Jerusalem, there were these tombs of the prophets. And on the big feast days, you know, like Passover and Pentecost and and, uh, the Feast of Booths, the tabernacles, you know, all, all, of Jeru- or all of Israel would come to Jerusalem for the festival. And, you know, hey, we're, we're in town and, you know, we need something to do. And so, hey, there's a tourist attraction. Uh, we're just going to go down and we're going to look at the tombs of the prophets. And in the tombs of the prophets, you can still go down and see tombs of the prophets in Jerusalem. And so what the, what the Pharisees said is, okay, well, if we're going to get all this tourist attraction to the tombs of the prophets, we should probably make it look nice. And so they went down and they would whitewash the outside of the tomb so it looks very pristine and clean and pure and and that way when we go down there, we're like, whoa, look at the tomb of so-and-so. Look how nice that is. And Jesus says, do you realize you're doing the same thing? That, that you put on this facade, you put on this outward appearance, you've, you've whitewashed yourself, 
and you're, look, you're going around and you, and you know all the right words to say and you know the right actions and you, and you know when you stand up and when to sit down and you know the right song lyrics and, and, and you, you, know, you, you come to church and you put on that smile, <laughs> right? And you're, good to see you. Yes, wonderful. Great to see you. Yes, you know? And, and we have these wonderful outward appearance and the show of, of having something. But he says, but do you recognize that it's all a facade? Because like a whitewashed tomb, inwardly you're just full of dead man's bones. Do you realize that righteousness is not supposed to be an outward thing? It's supposed to be an inward thing. Now, if it is an inward thing, it will show itself on the outside. But if it's just because you have this outward appearance of righteousness and holiness does not mean it's actually invaded you on the inside. And so Jesus says, hey, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you have this outward facade of righteousness and you appear righteous to the people around you, but you don't have any of it on the inside. Can I ask us, do we merely have an outward show of righteousness? It doesn't take long if you've grown up in the church to know how to behave in such a way where I can look really righteous. I carry a really thick Bible around because it's more spiritual. Pocket Bibles, they look so unspiritual, you know? Or if you just pull out your phone, man, that's just, no one knows how spiritual you are. You know, you know, you wear the Christian t-shirts and you, and you have the language and you do the, but you're, yeah, the outside matters to some degree. But if all it is is outside stuff, it's actually worthless. Well, what does God care about? The heart stuff. And you realize that if you are righteous on the inside, you don't have to worry about the outside because it will bubble forth. And you don't care about the appearance. You don't care what it looks like. Why? Because, because you actually have genuine righteousness on the inside. Do you recognize that Jesus cares far more about your inner life than he does even about your outward actions? And yeah, your outward actions matter and, and they will follow. But ultimately, God is concerned about the heart. So inside, in the realities and the depths of who you are, are you actually righteous? Is there actual purity? Is there actual godliness? Is there actual uh, an uprightness of your inner life? Or is it all just a show? Because according to Jesus, if it's just a show, it's hypocritical. And what we would need to do is repent. And we'd actually have to embrace the one who is righteous by faith so that we would actually receive his righteousness. So righteousness, if I can summarize it as a concept, has gone from an external demonstration in action to the internal reality and motive of the heart. In other words, this is all about an inside thing that will influence and affect the outside thing. But God, we must allow God to start on the inside. Just an in, another interesting thought is, do you realize that righteousness should affect all that you are and all that you do? That there, that there shouldn't be an aspect of your life that's not marked by righteousness. And, and everything and all that we do and say and live and even the motives of our heart should be influenced and affected and changed by his righteousness. In 1 John 3, 7, look at what John writes. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And it's interesting that if you desire to be righteous, 
it'll actually influence and affect everything. Or what about this? We, we must continually seek after his righteousness. Do you realize that righteousness isn't a one and done thing? Uh, righteousness isn't like, oh, well, yeah, God gave me his righteousness and whoo, praise the Lord, done with that one. And now I'm going to go to the next thing. See, see, righteousness isn't something. Righteousness is a lifestyle and an attitude and a motive and a, and a, and a, and a tone of your life. And therefore, Scripture is rather clear that you must consistently and continually go after his righteousness. So you have his righteousness by faith, but then we are to, because we have his righteousness, consistently seek after his righteousness and desire a greater and greater revelation of his righteousness, a greater demonstration of his righteousness, or a greater experience of his righteousness in and through our lives. That it's not like, all right, you know, 20 years ago, I was righteous. It's, okay, God did something in my life 20 years ago, but, but I should still be desirous and seeking after his righteousness. In fact, it seems like the more of his righteousness I understand and experience, the more I actually crave it, and the more I desire him to invade every area of my life so that I could actually be fully righteous. Lord, don't, don't let even a spot of myself be in me. I, I want the fullness of righteousness and holiness and godliness and, and purity in my life. Look at some of these passages. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Or Matthew 6, 33, But seek first his kingdom and his, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus, don't get distracted. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. He'll provide it. So if you're going to, get, if you're going to be focused on something, if you're going to fix your eyes and your gaze somewhere, if you're going to get obsessed with something, what should you be obsessed with? Jesus says, me. Go after my kingdom and my righteousness. And, and by the way, that word hunger and thirst, or, or even this word seek, it's really interesting. In the Greek, the word seek here is a present active imperative, which excited one of you. <laughs> uh, the fact that it's an imperative means it's a command. So Jesus is commanding that you are to seek. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't like a, an afterthought. Jesus says, you know what I'm commanding you? Go after it. Seek. And it's interesting that it's, that it's in the present tense in the Greek. And I've gone through this countless times. But the present tense of the Greek is really, really neat to me because it really is this idea of the ever-present tense. So when I think of present tense, I think of like the right now. But in Greek, it is the right now, but it's the ever right now. So whenever you're living right now, this is to be true. So I'm to seek after righteousness right now. And right now. And right now. Because whenever you're in the present, living in the present, I know some of you are in the past, you know, some of you are daydreaming about the future, what's for lunch. But, but do you, it's going to be good. But, but do you realize that whenever you're in the present and you're always in the present, that this should be the present reality of your life, which is what? I'm seeking after the righteousness. I'm seeking after him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just all athirst for him and his glory. I'm longing for his presence. I, I'm desperate for his purity. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just absolutely needful for his holiness and godliness in my life. See, what, what if I would just diligently go after him 
Or look at this, 1 Timothy 6.11. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue, and by the way, the word pursue is a present active imperative. You're commanded whenever it's present tense, you are to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Paul says, Timothy, do you know what you should go after? Yeah, whenever, whenever you take a breath, your whole pursuit should be after Jesus. Because the only way you're going to have righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness is when you have Jesus in your life. That's the only option you've got. So, so get this key idea. Don't, don't miss this. Jesus doesn't merely give us righteousness. Jesus becomes our righteousness. That he and he alone is the righteous one. But I'm unrighteous. Well, how am I going to be righteous? I'm going to have to have him. So if you take all of that and come into Jeremiah, there is this incredible revelation of one of God's names, which is Jehovah Sikhanu. Again, the term or the name Jehovah Sikhanu means the Lord or God, our righteousness. Again, he doesn't give us righteousness. He doesn't give us, he doesn't make us right as much as he becomes our righteousness. Are you getting this? So look at these two passages. In Jeremiah chapter 23, these are the only two times this name shows up in Scripture. It's the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 23, speaking of the coming Messiah, and by the way, we looked at the branch idea in the last study. And I want you to just notice how both of these passages bring in that branch concept, okay? Because it's in the same context. But in Jeremiah 23, speaking of the coming Messiah, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and prosper and do justice and righteousness in the land. So what is this branch going to do? He's going to reign as a king, he's going to prosper, and he's only going to exhibit and do justice and righteousness. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And get this. And this is his name, this coming Messiah, by which he will be called, he will be called Jehovah Sikhanu, Yahweh our righteousness. Now, if you understand the context, uh, Jerusalem has some serious problems. Babylon has been coming in and, and destroying Judah and all this kind of stuff. Israel's already been taken up to captivity by Assyria. And, and so here's, here's Jeremiah saying, look, I know the days are hard. Look, I, I understand things, seems, things seem to be tanking. But can I tell you, there's coming a day when we're going to look and go, wow, do you know who our Messiah is? Do you realize who this righteous branch is who is going to actually act righteously and justly as, and as, as a king? Do you know what his name is? Yeah, his name is Jehovah Sikhanu. That Jesus is our righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And God's name that he, he reveals in Jeremiah is that he says, oh, I will be your righteousness. That's my name. Now, what's really neat is if you fast forward 10 chapters and you get into chapter 33. And that name again shows up in chapter 33 but it gets really awkward. So in chapter 23, speaking of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, Jesus, his name, one of his names is Jehovah Sikhanu, 
Yahweh our righteousness. But as you come into chapter 33, listen to this, verses 15 and 16. It says, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to branch forth. Again, we're talking about branch language stuff. And what is that branch going to do? He shall do justice and righteousness on the earth. And it's interesting, it just went from the land of Israel and Judah now to the entire earth. Okay, so there's an expansion here. But then listen to this. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which she will be called. Jehovah Sikhanu, Yahweh our righteousness. And you got to admit, that's awkward. I can understand in the first one, Jesus is coming, the righteous branch. Woo, this is phenomenal. What, what, what is the righteous branch's name? Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. <clears throat> Ten chapters later, Jeremiah goes, oh, do you know what's happening? This righteous branch is coming. And he's going to act justly and righteously on all the earth. And Jerusalem, do you realize that Jerusalem has a new name? Well, what's the name of Jerusalem? Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. Now, I don't know how far to push this, but do you realize that the location where the presence of God dwelt, because it was indwelt, by Jehovah Sikhanu, the righteous one, the location where God dwelt took on the name of the one who indwelt it. Does that make any sense to you? So here is, here is Jerusalem where the temple's at, where the presence of God dwells, and you realize that if God's name is the Lord our righteousness, Yahweh our righteousness, do you realize that wherever God shows up to dwell, his righteousness seems to overpower and overtake so much so that the location takes on the attribute of the one who indwells it. And the location takes the name Jehovah Sikhanu. Now, maybe you didn't get that because I figured you'd stand up and shout and cheer. Do you know what that means for you? I mean, do, do you not realize that you are now the dwelling place of the Lord? Do you, do you not recognize that you are the vessel through which he feels? Which means what? Jesus is Jehovah Sikhanu. He is our righteousness. But wouldn't it be phenomenal that he comes to this vessel, which is impure, the very best that this vessel can produce is filthy rags, the very, the very best, I mean, this is just unrighteous deeds, but wouldn't it be phenomenal if the one who is righteous so fills up that which is unrighteous that the one that is unrighteous actually showcases his righteousness. Because it's not about your righteousness, but wouldn't it be phenomenal if the entire world, when they saw you, did not see you, they saw him in and through you. By the way, we call that Christianity. Folks, I'm not Jehovah Sikhanu, but I am filled with Jehovah Sikhanu. And wouldn't it be an incredible testimony to my world in the days in which we live if when someone saw my life, they didn't see my life, they saw his righteousness. They saw his godliness. They saw his purity. They saw his life and his love. Now, I get all the blessing of that because you get to experience that. But this is not about you. 
This is not about, okay, you grit your teeth and try to pull off Christianity. This is not about you, you know, in your own strength and your own grit and gusto, somehow be pure and holy and righteous. And that's not Christianity, folks. That's legalism. So somehow could you, as an unholy vessel, somehow as you who is the, the best that you can pull off as unfilthy rags, somehow would you allow the living God who is righteousness to invade your life and make your life righteous so much so that he and his name is seen in and through you to this world? That would be phenomenal. Do you know how many times in the Old Testament the idea of so that the world might know that Yahweh is God shows up? I mean, you look at David, or you look at Elijah, you look at Daniel, you look at Gideon. Just all these stories over and over and over again bespeak of this idea that, God, could you do something through this willing vessel so that when you come through and when you demonstrate yourself through my weak weakness, somehow the world begins to see and declare that you actually are God. Do you realize that our world desperately needs a demonstration of Yahweh, Jehovah, our righteousness? Our world desperately needs a clear picture of the one who is light. Our our world desperately needs to realize that there is godliness and purity and and truth and justice in this world. Well, how how are they going to see it? In you. Oh, one of my favorite passages over the years has been Ezekiel 36, verse 23. And I just, I just want you to listen to what God says to the people of Israel. This is so phenomenal to me. God looks at Israel and says, I will prove the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Now, pause. God says, I want my name and my holiness to be seen, which is the whole Genesis chapter 12 thing with Abraham. Abraham, I'm choosing you, and through you, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. So that when all the world sees what your God is doing in your life, the whole world's going to say, Woo, there is a God, and I need your God. Here's the problem. How is God going to demonstrate his holiness, the holiness of his name, through a people in a world that has been profaning him? Maybe better yet, how is he going to use a people, Israel, and us who have profaned his name. Because, folks, we've all profaned his name. We've all lived in rebellion and sin. We've all shook our fist in his face. We've all mocked the name of the Lord our God. So how is God in his holy perfection and righteousness going to demonstrate his life and his name to a profane world when we too have profaned his name? That's what, that's what God is saying in the passage. So look at this again. God says, I will prove the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh, when I prove or I demonstrate myself holy among you in their sight. Do you hear what God is saying? God is saying, you have profaned my name, amongst the people who are already profane. So when this world looks at you, you are not giving the right representation of who I am. That you are to be the image bearer of who God is to your world, and you have just squandered it. You have profaned it. You have mocked it. You've just emptied it of all content. 
So God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you who have profaned my name, and I'm going to literally showcase, I'm going to demonstrate my holiness in you so that when the world, who has profaned my name, looks at you who has profaned my name and sees my holiness in you, which they're going to go, whoa. And if God could go to an unholy people and turn an unholy, profane people holy, what could he do in my life? Wouldn't it be neat if God did that in you? We who are unrighteous, we who are our best deeds are but filthy rags. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if the holy, righteous, pure, good, and godly God came in and did something so radical in your life that that which was unholy becomes holy, that which is unrighteous becomes righteous, that which is unpure becomes pure, that which becomes, un, becomes a lie becomes a truth, that that which becomes, are you, like what, what if God would get a hold of your life and so fill you with his life and his presence that somehow, even though you have profaned, even though you have sinned, even though you have mocked, even though you have emptied him of content and you've shook your fist in rebellion to him, wouldn't it be phenomenal if he could so radically change your life that when the world sees you, they go, wow, there is a God in the universe. How do you know? Look at him. Because they can't do that on their own. Because as the world says, guys will be guys. So how, is that, how are they walking in purity? I mean, I, I know their background. I mean, I, know, I grew up with them. I mean, they, they are unholy. But now they're walking in righteousness. How is that possible? There has to be a God. Wouldn't it be neat if God did that in all of our lives? And God would somehow demonstrate and declare the righteousness, the holiness of his name, not because you're perfect. You're not. Not because you have your act together. You never have. But because he is righteous. And because he is holy. So could somehow you come to our precious Savior and say, Jesus, I can't. But you never said I could. And you will. And you always said you would. That's that great Ian Thomas quote. That, that I can't produce righteousness on my own, but he never said I could produce righteousness. And yet he always said he would produce his righteousness in and through me if by faith I would allow his life to invade my own let me just close with a couple other verses. Look at what Hosea says. Hosea 2.19. God is speaking and he says, I will betroth you to me forever. It's relational language. I will betroth you to me forever. Indeed, I will betroth you to me. How is God going to betroth us to him, his people? He says, in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness, in hesed and in compassion. Or look at Hosea 10.12. It says, sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with loving kindness, break up your fallow ground. Indeed, it is time to seek Yahweh until he comes and rains righteousness on you. Do you realize that time has come? Because Hosea, God is speaking through Hosea, looking at the coming of the Messiah. He says that, hey, you are sowing, break up the fallow ground. Why? Because there's coming a time when he is actually going to rain righteousness upon you. What is he talking about? The cross. Do you realize you have everything you need for life and godliness? You have access to the perfect righteousness of God Almighty. 
Please contain your excitement. This is not about what you can do. This is about him. And and may I remind all of us, Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteousness. And it is the upright, the righteous ones, who will behold his face. But you are unrighteous. You need the living God living inside of your life. And the only way that you can actually function as a Christian in the days in which we live is when you allow the God of the universe to come and do something in your life that you in and of yourself cannot do. Would you embrace him? Would you go after him? Will you just delight yourself in him? Will you just... Pray with me. Jesus, we desperately need you. Lord, I admit the best that I can pull off is but filthy rags. In fact, I feel like it's worse than filthy rags. Lord, there's nothing good in me. No, not a single thing. And yet you and your overwhelming mercy and love, while I was yet a sinner and shaking my fist in your face, Christ died for me. And you literally gave everything that I need to be righteous, holy, upright, pure, true, godly in the world in which I live. Lord, don't let me turn within myself. Don't don't let me turn within my own intellect or my own ability or my own talent or my own gusto or grit. Lord, I need to embrace you. And Lord, I am so desperate for this world to see you. I am so desperate for this world to see true righteousness. God, I am desperate for this world to see true godliness lived out once again. Lord, I'm desperate to see true manhood and femininity return to the stage of time. Lord, I'm just desperate for this world to see light in the midst of their darkness. So Lord, the only option I've got is you. Lord, could you take this empty, helpless, weak, unrighteous vessel and could you so fill it with your presence that so that that which was unholy becomes holy, that which was always impure becomes pure, that which has always produced unrighteousness now is showcasing righteousness. And Lord, would you demonstrate the glory and the holiness of your great name to this world through our lives? Even though we have profaned your name, could you use these vessels to showcase and demonstrate to the world who you are. Not because of our goodness, not because of our deeds, not because of our determination, but because the world cannot help but see you in and through our lives. Lord, you have called us to righteousness. You have called us unto holiness. You have called us to be conformed to the image of Christ and to walk in godliness. And Lord, we can't outside of you. Lord, thank you that you are righteous, that you delight in righteousness. And Lord, thank you for making the the way possible for me to be upright so that I could behold your face and experience relationship and intimacy with you. Lord, I'm just awestruck at that reality. Lord, I want to worship this morning, I don't want to sing songs. I, I want the reality of your life to bubble forth within me, and I just, oh, I just want to declare the wonders of who you are. 
So Lord, I pray that as we come to worship, we would be lost in wonder of your overwhelming righteousness and our overwhelming need for you in our lives. Lord, let us seek and thirst after righteousness. Let us pursue you and your life every moment, every day of our lives. We love you, Jesus, in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.